You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. You guys know the drill by now. I'm your host, Tyler, and joining me today is the star of the podcast. She's back for more. My co-host Charlie's here with me today. Charlie, how are you doing on this fine Monday afternoon? Well, we're closer to the football season, so that's Every great. day, this time of year, every day, one step closer. One step closer, yes. It's a beautiful thing, Charlie. I don't know if this comes off to other people, but internally, I can feel it myself. I'm a far better person, a far happier person this time of year than any other time of the year. Like, it's not even close. Are you trying to brag on yourself that you're a better person? I'm not saying that I'm a better person than anyone. I'm a terrible person throughout most of the year, Charlie. But this lead up to the football season, I have a little extra hop in my step, a little extra smile. It's just a, it's, it's a wonderful time of year, Charlie. I will say you seem less depressed. You know, have you ever heard of seasonal affective disorder? We've talked about this many times. Have we? Yes. On the show? Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. I mean, I do a lot of talking on the show, so maybe we have. I don't know, but I know a lot of people get that in the winter when the temperatures turn real cold. That doesn't really happen so much for me because I love college basketball, and, and that's a, a good time of year for me. But when we get into like the early summer months, Charlie, that's, that's tough for me because it's just a, a dark hole for a little while there. But this is the time of year where I come out of it, so I am thrilled that we are getting closer and closer to the college football season. And today, we're going to pause all of our preview stuff. We've got a ton of preview stuff planned for you guys over the next couple of weeks, but there's been a ton of news around the Georgia program, and we've had quite a few questions coming in, so we thought now would be a really good time before we hit the stretch run to the season to just pause, take stock of things, and get a chance to answer some of your questions. This might or might not be the last mailbag before the season hits. We might get one more in. But we want to make sure to get to as many of these questions as we could today. So, Charlie, what do you got for me? Thank you for that brief monologue. I Look, guys, Charlie's been all over me about these monologues being too long and me going too in-depth with my interest to questions. So I'm on a strict word count, I feel like, here today. So I'm going to do my very best. What did you tell me the other day, Charlie? Economy of language. Is that what you said? Yes. The economy of language. Okay, I, I, I respect that. I do pride myself on going 
in depth with our coverage of Georgia football and the larger world of college sports. But I also understand that I do repeat myself a lot. I know that happens. It's something that carries over from my day job, my full-time job. So I know that happens. I've been working on that, but you kind of, you, uh, you're a little harsh, Charlie. Well, it's not so much the economy of language. It's just, as you said, the repetitiveness. I like to hammer things home. And I know it happens, but again, like my day job, like that is part of the job is repeating myself over and over again. So it's kind of just ingrained in what I do. And sometimes I don't even notice I'm doing it, but I'm trying to be more cognizant of it. You just did it in two or or three times. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay. Economy of language. I'm working on it, guys. I'm working on it. Charlie's got me. Well, we have a really nice mix of team and recruiting questions to answer today, but as we move closer and closer to the 2022 season and further and further away from the recruiting season, or at least the heavy recruiting season, Mm -hmm. um, we're going to start with the team questions. First up, Alex wants to know who is the most undervalued player on the Georgia roster coming into the season? The most undervalued player. I think this is a fantastic question, Alex. Thank you for this, man. This is a really good one because this is going to give us a chance to talk about some players very briefly because I'm on a workout. I'm not allowed to talk too much today. But give me a no, chance. No, just don't repeat. Okay. but some you People know, can okay. rewind okay. if they need to go back yes. and listen. Yes, the people I work with, though, they uh, they need that. So I know. I know our listeners out there, you guys are awesome. You don't need me to do that, so I'm working on it. But this is a great question because I do think – there are a lot of players that just fly on the radar that don't get near the love that they deserve. And I want to take a few minutes, if I have your permission, Charlie, a few minutes here to dole out some love to maybe some of our more underappreciated players. And I got to start off the top here with our man, Bobby Beal, Robert Beal from Peachtree Ridge High School, one of the few Gwinnett County players that we ever get, but we got one. Well, and, and this is the linebacker that Stetson Bennett said was his favorite. Bobby Beal. Yeah, linebacker. Well, you, yeah, you know, obviously, he, yeah, he, he was, said it. To, yeah. I understand that. I know. I'm just I know. reminding the listener. Yes, Bobby Beal, Bob, and actually, I've never even heard like the the phrase Bobby Beal. Should we've been calling him Bobby Beal the entire time? I've never heard that, but let's go with that. I love it. So Robert Beal, aka Bobby Beal, guys, we had a ton of great players in this defense last year. You guys know that. We know we had the number one draft pick in the NFL draft with Trevon Walker. We know we had N'Kobe Dean, first round draft pick Quay Walker, Channing Tindall, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt, all of these studs in our defensive front seven. Well, none of those guys led this historic Georgia defense in sacks last year. You know who did lead the defense in sacks last year, Charlie? Bobby Beal. That's correct. Bobby Beal. Not by much. But it doesn't matter. He still led the team in sacks. Six and a half sacks, a half sack more than Trayvon Walker, N'Kobe Dean. But this is a guy, also, he didn't play as many snaps. He didn't get the volume of snaps that guys like, obviously, N'Kobe Dean and Chain Tindall and Quay Walker and Devontae Wyatt got. But he made the most of his opportunities. Now, he's not the flashiest player out there. But the fact is, when Robert Beal was out there on the field, he was an impact player for us. And we actually used him in a lot of those those third down situations when we bring our dime package out in the field and we want to get after the quarterbacks. We want to be a little more exotic and bring some of our pastors on the field. It wasn't always Nolan Smith. I know Nolan Smith had the reputation coming out of high school as a former overall number one recruit. And he's been great for us, but he filled a little bit of a different role. We used him as a pass rusher, but more than anything, we used him more as a guy that's defending the run, setting the edge out there. Whereas Robert Beal, I don't want to call him a pass rush specialist. That would not do him justice. 
but he was a more effective pass rusher when he was on the field than even Nolan Smith, again, who was the former number one overall recruit. And Charlie, I just caught myself repeating myself. So yeah, you're right. I'm working on it. So Robert Beal is number one on my list. Number two on my list would be Dirty Dan Jackson. Charlie, Dan Jackson, we talk a lot about Stetson Bennett being a, a former walk-on, right? Well, as far as I know, Dan Jackson is still a walk-on who is paying his way through school. Now, he's gotten some NIL deals, according to Kirby Smart. But the last time that I had heard, now maybe we'll get updated on this, I'm sure when we get into fall camp and Kirby has his press conferences, some reporter will ask him about it, some beat writer will ask him, I hope they do. But last check, Dan Jackson was not officially on scholarship, which is crazy because this guy started about half the year for us last year, primarily due to Christmas injury. But he was a starter for large portions of last year. And even when he was not starting, he was our money defender coming in when we brought our dime package on the field. So even from the jump against Clemson week one, Dan Jackson was playing meaningful snaps for us. And this year, at least coming to fall camp, I, you got to at least pencil him in as a starter at safety opposite Chris Smith. Now, there's certainly some competition there. We know we've got David Daniel. You, we've also got a young guy like Malachi Starks coming in, Ja'Cory Thomas. Those are guys that are going to compete for that job. Tyke Smith, who I'll get to here in a minute. Uh, he's another player that's going to be competing for that job. But Dan Jackson is the guy who's going to open fall camp as a starter at safety. And this guy is does not get near as much love as he should because he wasn't even recruited. Like He wasn't a guy that was on anyone's radar, including mine, but all this guy has done since he's been here in Athens is come in, put his head down, work, show what he can do, improve, get better, and produce when he's been given opportunities. So got to give some love to Dirty Dan. One more guy on the defensive side of the ball here. I'm going to go Tresman Marshall, inside linebacker. Now, he did open G-Day as a starter at inside linebacker opposite Pop Johnson. But I still don't think Tresman gets the notoriety or the love that I think he probably deserves. Now, he hasn't really played at all for us because he's been dealing with a lot of injuries since he's been here. But the name you've heard a lot more people talk about since he's been here is Smile Money. It's Smile and Pop. Those are the guys who are the first two off the bench at inside linebacker behind our top three last year. And Tresman was injured. He was kind of getting lost in the shuffle. But he took advantage of his opportunities in spring practice. We had a couple guys out at inside linebacker. He got healthy about halfway through spring practice and was able to work himself into that starting role, at least to open G-Day. Now, there's a long way to go. I'm not sitting here and telling you it's a done deal that Tresman Marshall is going to be a starter at inside linebacker, but I do believe that he's going to be in the rotation. And he's a guy that I believe as Georgia fans, we all need to get comfortable and familiar with. I do believe he's going to be a player for us. He's going to play some big time snaps throughout this 2022 football season. And then on the offensive side of the ball, a guy that I think I've I talked about him a couple of times, but we'll bring him up again because I just don't think he gets enough attention. Dejan Edwards. I know everyone's in love with Kenny McIntosh. Trust me, I am too. I know people love Kendall Milton. Trust me, I do too. I'm very excited about those top two guys at the running back position. I've gone on record saying I don't think there's going to be much of a drop-off between those two and what we had last year with James Cook and Zamir White. But Dejan Edwards is a player who I know has not played any meaningful downs really in his entire career. But I'm not going to judge him for that. All I can judge him on is what he's done when he's been given opportunities, whoever those opportunities might be against. And this guy has flat out produced in the run game, in the pass game, every single time he's got opportunities. I think he might be the shiftiest of all of our running backs, like in a short area, like in a phone booth. He's got that little bit of wiggle, that twitchiness. 
Now, is he a guy that has the, the top end speed? No, I don't think he's that kind of guy. Is he the biggest guy? No. He's the most powerful guy? No. But he's just a really good back who knows how to find holes. He can get skinny and fit into those holes. He can make guys miss in the hole. I really like what he brings to the table. And I do think that he's going to get probably, I would say, four to seven carries a game. And I think he's going to make some plays for us throughout this season. And the last one here is offensive lineman War McClendon. We hear a lot about Broderick Jones and the high expectations for him being a five, a former five-star recruit. Obviously, we know Cedric Van Pran coming back as the second year as a starter at center was at SEC Media Days for us, which is kind of crazy to think about as a sophomore getting the opportunity to be at SEC Media Days. That speaks a lot to what Kirby and the staff think of him. So we know those guys. We even know a little bit about Tate Radledge. He was a guy that we heard all last offseason was probably our best offensive lineman. Amarius Mims, this big-time five-star offensive lineman who entered the portal briefly, came back to the team. But old War McClendon over there at right tackle has just been the model of consistency for us at that position on the offensive line. He has been a rock for us. Now, is he the most physically gifted offensive tackle you're going to find in the SEC? I, I wouldn't go that far, No. But he has been very productive, going to essentially his third year as a starter, took over pretty early on in the 2020 season, and has just really never looked back. He seems to be a quiet guy out there, leads by example, but all he does is produce and protect the quarterback when he's out there. So I want to give him a little bit of love here as well. Charlie, was that short enough for you? That was perfect. How long was that one? I don't know. Let's see. We're going on. uh, Okay. That was like 10 minutes. Okay. (laughs) But not 20. Okay. There was five names, though. So it was like two minutes a name. Yes. Come on. That's not bad. That's economy. Economy of language. Went in depth there, which we know the listeners appreciate. So thank you. Next up, our question, or our next question, excuse me, comes from Drill Dog. He wants to know which true freshman you think will make the biggest impact this year. Give us one for offense and one for defense. Yeah, Drill Dog was kind of channeling my inner thought today. This was the question I was going to post as our question of the day on Twitter, which I've been doing over the past couple of weeks, which has been a lot of fun getting to kind of interact with you guys out there. So if you're not following us on Twitter, do that at glory underscore UGA. We're trying to up our social media game and put some more content out there for you guys. So we love to hear from you. But this is a great question. So this is basically like the who is this year's Brock Bowers, right, Charlie? Yes. I mean, Brock Bowers, we know, is a guy, is a true freshman last year that came in and just took not just the team, but the entire SEC, really the country by storm. So who is that guy? I don't know if we have a guy that's going to be a a Brock Bowers-level impact player because that's extraordinarily rare. That's a lot of pressure to put on any true freshman, but I do think we have some guys that are candidates to make major impacts in their first year here on campus. Defensively, I... I'm going to start with the defense here, Charlie, because I think there's more candidates to make a major year one impact on defense than we have on offense. I feel like it was more of a defense-heavy class last year. But Michael Williams is the first one off the top of my head. We talked about him, I believe, in our last show. Michael Williams from SEC Media Days. Kirby was talking him up. I've been talking him up since he signed in February. So I got to go with him, number one, at the five-tech defensive end. I think he has a little bit of versatility, a lot of versatility, actually. So he did, I don't think he's pigeonholed into playing the five-tech. I think we can move him around and, and do different things with him. But he is a guy that has the athleticism that you crave along the defensive line. Like, maybe not Trayvon Walker, but pretty damn close. But then if you combine that with the work ethic that he appears to have, according to our head coach, who never gushes about freshmen that way, that's when you get greatness. So I am extraordinarily high on Michael Williams. I think he could potentially even open the season as a starter. I We'll see what happens in fall camp. Long way to go. But I don't think that's out of the question. I'm not discounting him there. 
I think Marvin Jones Jr. at outside linebacker is a pass rusher. That's a need position. Yes, we got Bobby Beal. Yes, we got Nolan Smith. Chaz Chambliss did some nice things for us last year. Mikhail Sherman is a guy that was a highly rated guy coming out of high school a couple years ago. But we we could certainly use another dangerous pass rusher off the edge. I think Marvin Jones Jr. could potentially be a guy that could fill that role in situations this year. Jalen Walker, at inside linebacker, that's I mean, still a relatively open position battle. Malachi Starks at safety potentially, but Michael Williams, I gotta be, I gotta be honest with you, Charlie. He's number one on my list. Offensively, I'm gonna go with a couple of receivers here. You could say Branson Robinson at running back. He's probably the most physically gifted of our offensive recruits in this 2022 class. But I just don't know if the opportunity will be there as much for him. I do expect him to get some carries this year. I just don't know where exactly he's going to fit on the depth chart. But I think we have more options at wide receivers. We play more wide receivers at any given time, and we rotate those guys like crazy we talked about on this show. So I think Denylon Morissette, who was at Brookwood and then was at North Cobb High School, was an early enrollee and really started to turn some heads as, as spring practice went on. He's a guy that I would watch out for. And then Dylan Bell, who is not an early enrollee, he's, he got here the early parts of the summer. I was very intrigued by him coming out of high school. There wasn't a ton of film on him, but I felt he was a pretty explosive and powerful athlete. And the early returns, what I've been hearing from people around the program coming out of your summer workouts, this guy is already starting to to kind of turn some heads. And I'm really interested to see what he can do once he gets out there on the field in an actual practice in fall camp. So just put his name in your back pocket. I think Dylan Bell might be a guy that can work himself in the receiver rotation as well. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right. Jamil has our next question. He wants to know not which players, but which position group gets you most excited for the 2022 season? I'm going to say linebackers. Well, you know I love my linebackers. And I am excited about linebackers to this year, not because we have these superstars coming back, but for a different reason. We have a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of options there. So I'm watching that position very closely because I am an old linebacker guy myself. Old player, old coach. Love that position. But... I'm going to go with tight ends, Charlie. Like, if you're talking about what position gets you most excited about this season, Charlie, Brock Bowers, your boy, Darnell Washington, you know you got a soft spot for big for the big zero. We've got Oscar Dupp coming as a true freshman, Eric Gilbert coming back this year after missing all of last year. 
we clearly have not just the best tight end room in the country this year. I think you can make a legitimately strong argument that our tight end room this year is the best tight end room in the history of college football. And, I, and I'm not an old timer. I don't go all the way back to the, the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s. But in my time, past 20 plus years watching college football as closely as you possibly can, I don't know if I've seen an entire group of tight ends as talented and deep as what we have in this in this year's group so charlie i think there's got to be tight end. i love the linebackers but tight end i mean how like that's the probably the best position group in the entire sec i was just thinking about which position you that like i love watch i mean yeah i'm always watching inside linebackers of course but i mean it's, I, I truly believe charlie that our tight end group might be the best positional group unit in the entire sec i agree I hope that Darnell Washington has more of an impact and is able to contribute more this year. Yeah, I think for him it's just a matter of staying healthy. I think he has the talent, and obviously he's got the freakish size. I mean, how many How many of you actually would fit in one Darnell? It's probably like three of me. So what are you, about five, 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 six? Or maybe like... Well, not height-wise. No. I'm talking like Just in girth total. and t- like, like, yes, mass, like, body mass. It would mass. take like four of me like bundled up to make one of him. Yeah, I, I can I can see something like that. You are a pretty small person. All right, so Darnell, I, I'm actually rooting for Darnell. I really hope that he can make more of an impact this year. If he stays healthy, I really, I, I do believe him. I really do believe in him. All right, what you got next? All right, our next question comes from Alexander. He wants to know, what are the most important offensive and defensive position battles for the team this season? Offense and defense. Okay, so we're going to do an entire episode when Curtis gets back from vacation in a couple weeks. He and I have already planned it out. We're going to do an entire episode previewing fall camp by really taking a a very in-depth look at all the different position battles and how we see those potentially playing out. But I'll give you a little bit of of a preview here. Let's start offensively. I think both guard positions are wide open. We know Warren Erickson, yes, for better or worse, Warren Erickson is back for another year. He'll be in the thick of the competition. Tate Ratledge, who was a starter at guard to open last season, is going to be fully cleared for fall camp, back, ready to go. So he'll be right there in the thick of the competition. I hope he's the same guy he was last year. If he is, you got to believe, Charlie's probably going to get one of those starting jobs. Then you've got Devin Willick as well, who's kind of made a move. you got Xavier Truss, who's been around. I feel like Xavier Truss has been around for like nine years, but has never really like played any significant snaps for us. He's played a little bit here and there. But he'll be in the thick of the competition. Amarius Mims, who, like I said earlier, did ever so briefly enter the transfer portal during spring practice, but decided to, to come back to the good guys. He's going to, I think, factor into that guard battle as well. I think he's more of a tackle long-term, but when you've got Broderick Jones and you've got Warren McClendon as your bookends, it's hard for him to find time there. There's a much faster path to playing time, at least this year for him, at guard. So there's a ton of options at guard, and I think that position is wide open. That's going to be a really fun to watch, see how it kind of plays out with the first couple weeks of fall camp. And then on defense, I think it's it's pretty obvious to me. I mean, you, you mentioned linebacker earlier, Charlie. I think we can probably assume that Pop is going to have one of those starting jobs inside linebacker. The other one, I think it's up for grabs. But I'm going to look at that field cornerback position opposite Keeley Ringo. We know that Keeley is going to play the boundary corner. He's going to be our top guy there. But there are a host of guys that could play that field cornerback position. It could be Kamari Lasseter. It could be Nylon Green. It could be any of the, the incoming true freshmen, whether it's Dalen Everett, James Singletary, Julio Humphrey. 
Marcus Washington Jr. There's a ton of names, and any one of those guys could step up and take that job. If I had to put my money on it right now, I would say probably I would handicap it as Kamari Laster or Nylon Green. Laster was the guy through most of fall or through spring practice, I should say, that was kind of going out there and working with the ones, but he got hurt or sick. I forget which one, either hurt or sick right before G-Day. So he didn't get to play during G-Day. We had to move William Poole out there to play corner. So I don't know. It's an open, it's an open battle for sure. And I think it's not only an interesting one to watch, it's an extraordinarily important one to watch because I feel really good about what we have in the secondary, except for that one position. It's not that I'm overly concerned about that spot because I love the talent we just don't have any one of those guys with any sort of experience, and that's kind of got me at least moderately concerned. So I want to feel better about that. I want somebody to jump up early in fall camp and seize that position, take hold of, and make me feel a lot better about it going into the season. All right. Our next question comes from Brent. He wants to know how surprised you were to see Jermaine Burton on the preseason All-SEC first team list. And if there was an SEC wide receiver draft, how many of Georgia's receivers would be drafted ahead of him? Okay, my comment on this mm-hmm. is that he's on the list because he goes to Bama. Yeah, it's, it's the Bama bump. Right. And, and they it, historically have good receivers, yeah. which is fine. But I think somebody just overlooked the fact that he transferred away from Georgia because right. he wasn't going to get... Well, that's not the way they look at it. They look at it as, well, Georgia's offense drove him away, right? That Georgia didn't give him enough touches. And that's that's the perception, is that Georgia's offense is antiquated. He wasn't getting enough touches there. He's a really talented receiver. He wants to be featured more. So he goes to an offense with a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and a track record of throwing the ball 40, 50 times a game where he's going to get more touches. They put a lot of receivers in the league in the first round. Those guys are routinely going over 1,000 yards. And he was a, a highly rated top 100 prospect coming out of high school. So let's just give him, like you said, Charlie, you're right, the Bama bump. Let's give him that and assume that he's just going to fit right in. And I can't really fault that line of thinking. The The reality is I do think Jermaine Burton will put up better numbers in the Bama offense than he has here in Athens. First off, he'll be going to his third year in college, so there's that. But he is going to be playing an offense that features receivers more than we do. Not only do they throw the ball more, but they keep their best receivers on the field more often than we keep ours on the field. They don't rotate nearly as much as we do. And, and there is merit to both approaches, but they the fact is they do feature their best receivers more than we do. So I see why someone in the national media or the SEC media would project him to be one of the top receivers in the SEC. And he did do good things for us. He did make a lot of plays for us. Didn't get as many opportunities as you would get at Bama. I understand that. Mike, and I, I and this might be in response, I can't remember it, but this might be in response to something I tweeted out over the weekend where I was just asking the question, are we really sure that Jermaine Burton is going to be first team all SEC when the season's over? And my contention here is that it's not that Jermaine Burton is not a good player. This is not sour grapes, guys. This is not me saying, oh man, I'm just disappointed he left us and I'm just bitter about it. That's not what this is. I wish Jermaine Burton the absolute best as long as he's not playing us. He went about this the right way. He didn't do anything wrong. I mean, he didn't do anything that any number of players do every single year now. But my contention is I don't know if he is the caliber receiver of a guy like Jalen Waddell or Jamison Williams, or certainly not Devontae Smith, who do who did win the Heisman Trophy, by the way. I if Bama fans are set on him becoming that guy for them, I just I can't help but shake the feeling 
that they might be left a little disappointed at the end of the season. Again, it's not to say that Jermaine Burton is not a good player. I do think Jermaine Burton's a very good player. I do think he's going to put up good numbers in that offense. I just don't know if he is that kind of receiver. I just don't know. I need to see that from him. And I'm also honestly not 100% sold on the idea that he will be their number one receiver. Again, I do think he's going to put up bigger numbers than he did here, just by virtue of opportunities. But there's a couple guys on that roster that I think could very well be the number one receiver for Bama ahead of Jermaine Burton. It could be Ja'Cory Brooks, who, by the way, guys, I know he's a freshman last year, but he was a higher rated recruit coming out of high school than Jermaine Burton. Now, that doesn't always mean anything, and we're talking about a, a very small gap here, but... Ja'Cory Brooks was a five-star guy. He was a top 30 recruit. Jermaine Burton was inside the top 100. I think he was like number 88, 89, something like that, coming out of high school according to the 247 composite. But Ja'Cory Brooks was a higher-rated guy. He's had a year in the offense. He's also already been working with Bryce Young. And then you also have Tyler Harrell coming in from Louisville. I don't understand why people aren't talking more about him and why Jermaine Burton's getting all the love. I guess it's because Jermaine Burton's coming from Georgia and he was a top 100 recruit. Well, whereas Tyler Harrell is coming from Louisville, I mean, they haven't done anything recently, and he hasn't been as productive at the college level, but he is flat out explosive. He might be one of the most explosive playmakers in the entire SEC, and he, to me, is far more in the vein of a guy like Jamison Williams or Jalen Waddle, where they can take those quick glance routes. It's a it's a RPO heavy Bama offense, and what they do is they run these quick little glance routes. They get these guys in space and they're off the races. Tyler Harrell, in my opinion, fits that Bama offense more than Jermaine Burton does. Now, is he as polished a receiver as Jermaine Burton? I do not think so, but I certainly think there's a world in which Tyler Harrell is actually the more productive receiver for Bama than Jermaine Burton this year. I'm not saying it's a done deal, but I'm just, I'm skeptical. I'm curious to see how that plays out. I just don't think it's a 100% surefire thing that Burton's going to be the number one guy at Bama. Now, as for the second part of this question, if there was an SEC-wide receiver draft, how many of our receivers would be drafted ahead of him? I would say one, Charlie. I think A.D. Mitchell would be taken ahead of Jermaine Burton. A.D. Mitchell was really emerging as that guy as the season wore on last year. I think he's uh, he's a little bit bigger. I think that he's a little bit twitchier. I think he's a better overall athlete than Jermaine Burton is. So if I'm projecting into the future, I do think A.D. Mitchell is a guy that I would draft ahead of Jermaine Burton. I would be tempted to potentially take Ladd McConkey ahead of Burton just based off what Ladd can do as a true slot wide receiver. And Ladd can also play out wide. We've seen him do that. But he's one of those slot receivers that offenses have really been able to feature and unlock the past five, six, seven years. You run option routes with those guys, slot phase. He's got fantastic ball skills. You can also use him in the running game a little bit, with whether it's reverses, end rounds, jet sweeps, all those kind of things. The screen game especially. I think Ladd is a potentially a bigger playmaker than Jermaine Burton, but I haven't seen enough from him yet to give him the nod over Burton right now. Now, I might revisit this at the end of the year. I don't think it'd be crazy to say Ladd McConkey right now, but I think I would say for sure I would take A.D. Mitchell over Jermaine Burton and... Uh, with the potential of maybe taking Ladd McConkey. But outside of that, I, like Kiaris Jackson, I, I'm, I love Kiaris. I still would probably take Jermaine over Kiaris. Marcus Rosemey Jackson, I would take Jermaine over him right now. We've got some young guys. I mean, Arian Smith, if Arian Smith could ever stay healthy, I think he's more explosive 
than Jermaine Burton, but he's not the true, full-on, polished receiver that Jermaine is right now because he just hasn't been out there practicing and playing as much. But right now, I think I would go with one. I would go with A.D. Mitchell. All right. We have one more team question that comes from Paul, and he says he thinks Kendall Milton, Tate Ratledge, Eric Gilbert, and Tyke Smith are all poised for a big bounce-back year this year. But of those four players, which one will be the biggest X factor for Georgia this year? Man, Paul, that's a good question, man. That's a tough one. I think all of those guys, you can make an argument for them being X factors for our team this year. If I had to pick one, if you put me on the spot here, I'm going to go with Tyke Smith. I mentioned him briefly earlier. I want to go a little bit more in depth with him here. Let's not forget, guys, Tyke Smith was a third-team All-American back in 2020. He was a guy that, I wouldn't even just say we had penciled him in as a starter. We had written his name in as a starter in pen coming into last season prior to the injury in fall camp. And he comes back from injury and then tears his ACL. Just a tough year for him. But to me, and I know this sounds crazy because he didn't really play for us at all last year, but it's almost like getting a starter back on this defense. You know, we only have, you know, four or five starters returning on the defense depending on how you, you define a starter. But I think Tyke Smith in some ways kind of is a returning starter because he was going to start for us last year, guys. He was a starter at West Virginia. He was going to start for us at the star position, got injured, and that's unfortunate. But if he's back to 100%, why can't Tyke Smith be an all-SEC caliber player for Georgia's defense this year? I don't see any reason why he could not. And I also love the position versatility. He could factor in at star. And right now, you got William Poole right there, but it could certainly be a battle there. He could also play safety. You mentioned Dan Jackson earlier. Tyke Smith's going to push him at that position. In fact, if I had to project right now who's going to start at safety to open the season, I really might say Chris Smith and Tyke Smith. I really might at this point. And Dan Jackson, he's going to play a lot for us, but by the time we open the season, week one against Oregon, I think Ty Key might have done enough to work himself into that position. Because let's just be honest, guys. I love Dan. I love Dan Jackson. I think he's far more talented than people give him credit for. I do not think he has the talent level of Ty Key Smith, though. So I'm excited to see what he can do for us. And if, if he is back to being 100%, again, I will reiterate this one more time. Charlie, I apologize for repeating myself here, but I'm trying to emphasize something. I believe that Ty Key Smith is the equivalent of getting a starter back this year because that's what he was going to be for us last year. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, well, that is all the team questions for today. The rest of our questions are recruiting-based questions, and Paul has another question to kick off this segment of the show. He says that the Dogs have put together one of the best linebacker recruiting classes in the country. How would you compare our three inside linebacker commits? This is my wheelhouse, Charlie. I know. This This is my happy place. All right, linebackers. Let's talk some linebackers. 
First off, Paul, you're exactly right. I would have to agree with you here. Now, I'm not going to say that I know every single recruiting class in the country for every team around the country and who they've got an inside linebacker, but I think you would be very hard-pressed to find a better trio of inside linebackers in one single recruiting class than what we have in this class. Glenn Schumann, guys, is a flat-out monster. On the trail, in the meeting rooms, on the field, that dude is a, I'm not going to say a rising star, he is a star. And I just hope to God that we can keep this man around for as long as humanly possible because that dude is the real freaking deal. But C.J. Allen, let's start with him. C.J. Allen, I think he was the first one of these three to commit. And he's he's a Georgia guy, 6'1", about 220, who runs a sub 4'5", reportedly runs a sub 4'5", at that size. That is scary, guys. C.J. Allen is a dude. And he actually plays a lot of offense. He plays running back for his high school. And that's not necessarily all that uncommon at the high school level. A lot of times they just want to feature the best players, the guys that are the most athletic, and they play them both ways. And that's what happens you know, with a guy like C.J. Allen, you know, playing a little bit of a smaller school. That happens. But this guy is a stud athletically. He moves really well at that size. He will strike you. He's big, strong, physical. In fact, in a straight line, he might be the fastest of these three players. Now, saying that, when I watch him on tape, now I have to be honest here, I've not seen this guy play a full game. I really like to watch guys play an entire game and not just look at highlights if I can. That's not always possible, but for some of these in-state guys, usually I can get my eyes on them some way, somehow. I haven't had a chance to do that with C.J. Allen because if you watch him in a full game, you can, you don't just see them like light up somebody or have some long touchdown run. You actually get to see them, what they do from a technique standpoint, where their eyes are, how they understand the game. They're, you can see them at their best and their worst. Kind of see what their ceiling and their floor. With C.J. Allen on tape, what I can tell you that I've seen from him is that he's not a finished product. In terms of like how to play the linebacker position, he's got some learning and growing to do. I would kind of equate him, at least from that standpoint, to Smile Mondo. Now, I don't think he's that level athlete. He's a different kind of player. He's bigger, more physical, and very athletic, but not quite Smile Mondo level athleticism. But both of those guys coming out of high school are raw. Like Smile was coming out last year, and I think you say the same thing about C.J. Allen. They just aren't finished products in terms of doing all the little things that inside linebackers have to do, whether it's taking on blockers with their hands, avoiding false steps, all the different things that inside linebackers have to do. He's got a ways to go there. But the good thing is you can teach a guy those things. You can't teach that kind of athleticism. So I'm very, very high on CJ Allen. I think he's going to be a big time player for us. Raylan Wilson is a really, really intriguing prospect. He's the youngest of these guys. If I have it correct, and I think I do, he's only going to be 17 years old when he enrolls here next year. He's a really young guy. He's still growing into his frame. Right now, he's 6'2", about 210. I think Raylan Wilson has the highest physical upside of this trio of linebackers. He's not quite there yet because he's still young. He's an explosive athlete. He moves extraordinarily well. He will absolutely strike you. He's very rangy. He shows the ability to pressure off the edge. He does a lot of things really well, again, for a very young linebacker. I believe he's either 15 or just recently turned 16. So he's a guy that I think his best football is clearly ahead of him. I think you can say the same thing about C.J. Allen as well. And then the last one, Troy Bowles, is to me the most college-ready of these three linebackers. Now, does he have the upside 
of C.J. Allen and Raylan Wilson, like the athletic physical upside. I don't think he has the physical ceiling of Allen and Wilson, but don't get me wrong here, guys. He has an extraordinarily high ceiling. It's all relative here. But right now, when I watch him play, I've been very open about this on social media. I'm in love with Troy Bowles because this guy could probably start for us right now. If he had reclassified and was on the team right now, a week away from fall camp opening, I truly believe that he would compete to at least be in the rotation, if not just flat out start to open the season. I think he is that physically ready. And from a technique standpoint, a technical standpoint, I think he is that ready. Now talk about striking you. All these guys will strike you. Troy Bowles will cut you in half, guys. This guy will just completely disembowel you. He will freaking lay you out. He's explosive. Now talk about guys rushing off the edge as well. He does a really good job playing as a downhill linebacker right there between the tackles, but he also is a guy that has shown the ability to rush the passer off the edge. And if you watched us play last year, which I know you all did, I did a whole scheme team episode on this. One one of the major adjustments we made last year was featuring our inside linebackers as our primary pass rushers. Troy Bowles is exactly that. Now, is he the kind of athlete that we saw with a guy like Channing Tindall or Quay Walker? I'm not ready to go there yet, but he's certainly a fantastic athlete in his own right. What It is not surprising that he is so polished right now because he is the son of an NFL head coach. But this guy can play, there's no doubt about it, has a high physical upside, can rush a passer, can play downhill, will cut you in half. Again, if we were opening fall camp tomorrow and he was on our roster, I would be hard-pressed to say there was someone that would start over him right now because I think he is that good. So when those three guys come into college and they've got a year to go, I would not be surprised if Bowles was a guy that made the earliest impact, but then Wilson and Allen might ultimately end up getting drafted higher if they continue along with their development over the next couple of years. But they're all fantastic. I think they all potentially could be first, second round draft picks in the NFL here in three or four years. All right. Thanks for that breakdown on the linebackers. Our next recruiting question comes from Sam. He wants to know what your thoughts are are on Georgia being 12% below Alabama on the blue chip ratio. Yeah, the blue chip ratio is a really cool little thing that I believe it's Bud Elliott on 247 puts out every year. And I know a lot of you are familiar with this, but if you're not essentially what the blue chip ratio is, it's a pretty simple process. He just goes back and he looks at each roster in the country and counts up the number of four and five star prospects you have on your roster. So for 2022, Georgia had 77% of our players on our roster who were former four or five-star prospects. Alabama was number one at 89%. Ohio State was number two at 80%. We are number three at 77%. If you go to the 2021 numbers, we've fallen back a little bit from last year. I think last year we were number two at 80%. Bama was again number one at 84%. Ohio State was 79% last year. So we've come back to the pack, I guess, a little bit, not much. We're still in the top three. And I know that when this was released, there were some people that kind of hit me up on social media and had some concerns about this. Like, we're falling back, Tyler. You know, we're 12% by BAM in the blue chip ratio. Are you concerned about this? And I understand why there would be some concerns. I, I totally get that. I'm not saying that, that you shouldn't have some of those concerns. Because the fact is, you cannot make a living recruiting two and three star prospects. But the thing is, we're not doing that. Like, we still have... 
three-fourths of our roster, more than three-fourths of our roster, that are former four- and five-star guys. I would also contend the three stars that we have taken are not because we were out of options. Like, we missed on this guy or that guy, so we had to take a guy lower on our board. That might have happened in a couple of cases, but a lot of these guys that we, t- that we took that were, three or, that were two or three stars, mainly three stars, were guys that we just evaluated and had higher on our boards than maybe some other programs did. And you know what? We've hit on quite a few of those guys. Let me just read you a couple of these numbers here real quick. So 2021, that class, three-star prospects were A.D. Mitchell. I think that was a hit, right? That was a great eval. Marlon Dean, not on the team anymore. Javon Bullard played a lot for us last year at the star position. Jared Wilson, and then Jackson Meeks, who really started to turn some heads during spring practice this year, and probably doesn't work himself in the rotation receiver this year. So more than half of those guys that were three stars from last year's recruiting class were hits. A.D. Mitchell was a home run. You go to 2020, Lad McConkey, Devin Willick. Lad, home run hit for us as a three-star prospect. as an incredible evaluation. Devin Willick is going to be in the thick of the competition for one of those open guard positions this year. That was a big hit. Now, Jared Zirkel came in as a kicker, and you don't exactly know what to expect here, but through spring practice, I was being told he was actually pushing Podlesny to be our starting kicker. Now, that's going to be an open competition, I believe, heading into fall camp, but he very well could end up being our starting kicker this year. You got Austin Blasky, who's still kind of in the thick of things, trying to find a way to get into the rotation on the offensive line. Darren Branch, no longer with the team. Cameron Kenny, no longer with the team. Then in 2019, Stetson Bennett, Charlie. Can we say that we hit on Stetson Bennett as a three-star prospect? I think that was a good choice. Yeah, I think that was a good decision there, especially considering that we got him as a preferred walk-on. So we hit there, but he counts against us as a three-star prospect. But if Stetson played as a three-star, I would argue absolutely not. Tramel Walthour, who played a lot of downs for us last year, about 30% of our defensive snaps he played for us last year, will probably open the season as our start of the five-tech. He's going to split a lot of time with Michael Williams, as I said earlier. But I think that's a hit as a three-star prospect. Brett Seether, I think, is a capable tight end force. Unfortunately for him, he's just kind of been recruited over when we signed guys like Brock Bowers and Oscar Delp in recent classes. But I know our coaches are actually still pretty high on him, and I think he will potentially get some playing time this year. I mean, knock on wood, hopefully there's not any injuries, but if there are, he's going to play some for us this year. And then Tyman Mitchell has transferred out as well. So if you add those, I think there's like 15 names there. So I would say about seven to eight of those names of three-star prospects that we have taken over the last three classes have been either hits or home runs. That is a coaching staff doing a hell of a job evaluating these prospects. So I would argue that, yeah, we might have taken a few more three-star prospects than Bama and Ohio State over the past couple of years, but we have hit far more at a far higher rate on our three-stars than Bama and Ohio State, Oklahoma, some of those other teams that are up there pretty high in the blue chip ratio. i also add this. We did not take one single player from the transfer portal this year, guys. We lost a couple, but we did not go take one single player and add him to our roster this season. Why does that matter? What that tells me is I don't care what the blue chip ratio number is that we're 77% and Alabama's 89% blue chips. What that tells me is our coaching staff believes in the guys that we have on roster. They believe in how they develop. They believe in their evaluations and did not see a need to go supplement our roster via the transfer report. Because we could have, of course we could have. We're the defending national champion. Who does not want to come play here? Of course we could have. Our coaching staff chose not to because they love the talent that we have on hand. So no, I'm not worried. Honestly, if you're within the top three or four, if you're within that range, 
then you have a chance to win a national title. And as long as we're there in the ballpark, which we certainly are, I'm not worried about. Now, if we start to move down closer to the 60 range, which is where Florida is, like Florida is at 60% blue chip ratio. Uh, let's see, Oregon's at 60%, Michigan's at 59%. Then you start to get worried. But if you're talking about 75 plus percent, it might not be at Bama's level. But again, I think our coaching staff has just done a better job evaluating prospects. And we've hit on some of those three stars more than Alabama has over the past couple of years. All right. Our next question comes from Drew. He gives you credit for telling everyone to chill out and calm down after the whole recruiting Scandal. Chill out, guys. Chill out. Skill, sc- I guess it wasn't a scandal, but scandal. People were the, drama, the drama. The yes. drama. The soap The Justice opera Haynes drama. That is football recruiting. He says, after getting Kelton Smith and a, a, Aguero. Aguero. Sorry. I was going to say. How are you going to pronounce that? Not Aguero. Aguero. I was thinking. Jonelle Aguero. Okay. All right. What were you thinking? I want to know. I can't. I just lost you can't even, it. You can't even pronounce I it? I lost it now. Okay. So after getting those two got us back on track, but who do you think is the next prospect to pull the trigger and keep the momentum going? Yeah, that's a great question, Drew. I appreciate the shout out there. And look, we're not out of the woods yet, but here we are a week later and it seems to be a different vibe around the Bulldog Nation with some of the, the recruiting success that we had over the past week. We are now inside the top three. We have the second highest average recruit ranking in the country, and that's without having a quarterback or running back commit currently on our commit list. So it's only up from here. Losing Justice Haynes, that still stings a little bit, but that's just one guy. Like I told you guys, I don't think he is a program breaker, a really good player, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to make or break your program. And honestly, our program is in a position now where one recruit doesn't make or break our program in any way, shape, or form. But obviously, we all do feel a lot better about things right now. And the next guy up that I'm hearing a lot of hype around right now in terms of him potentially pulling the trigger sooner rather than later is actually currently committed to Penn State. His name is Yazid Haynes. He's a 6'1", 170-pound wide receiver. Now, he might not get the average Georgia fan excited. He might not really move the needle that much because he's a three-star prospect. He's ranked number 635 in the country according to the 247 composite. But this guy has what we are looking for at the receiver position. Reportedly, he runs a sub four, a legit sub 4-4 40-yard dash. That is the kind of speed that is changing offenses around the country and just slicing up defenses. Now, is he a guy that needs some development? I watched his tape, and yes, he needs to add some weight. I would love to see, love to see him get a little bit thicker, and he needs to polish up his game and, and really enhance his route tree. But in terms of flat-out speed, again, something you cannot teach, Yazid Haynes has that in spades. And it appears, again, I know he's currently committed to Penn State, but according to a lot of recruiting writers out there, the guys on 247, on Rivals, where it is that you're looking, Yazid Haynes is certainly a name to be watching out here for the next couple of weeks. All right, we have one final question for today. It comes from Taylor. He starts by saying that it looked like Georgia's recruiting downfall was greatly exaggerated, but he wants to know who we need to take to add to this class to the next level. Did I say that right? I don't know if you said that right, Charlie. Who do we need to take this class to the next level? There we go. I think that sounds correct. And what's the biggest remaining need? So who do we need to add to this class to take it to the next level, and what's the biggest remaining need? Well, we missed on Arch Manning, which I don't think we have to have a quarterback in this class. Curtis and I have talked about that. I think we're probably just going to pass and punt on that position. 
in this class and maybe potentially take somebody in the transfer portal, but I think we're okay there. There are three positions I think we need to land an impact player at. I would love to see us land a big time offensive tackle, a high level running back, and then a big time wide receiver. Now we all know the issues that we've had recruiting the wide receiver position. We brought Brian McClendon in to hopefully help fix those things as a recruiting ace of that position. Did a great job for us back when he was here in his first go round. Did a good job for South Carolina. It's a good recruiter and he's a guy that can actually develop those guys once he gets them in here as well. But it's still an uphill battle for us because of the negative recruiting that goes on based on the type of offense that we run. So we are trying to combat that as best as possible. But we are heavily involved in a couple of big time receivers. Jalen Hale from Texas, Hakeem Williams, who I am really high on as a bigger, taller wide receiver that also moves very well, great ball skills that I would love for us to land. He's a, a big time top 100 level prospect. Tyler Williams as well. So if we can land one of those three guys at wide receiver to supplement this receiver class, I would feel really, really good about that. Honestly, if we land one of those guys, I think it takes this recruiting class to the next level. At running back, I'm not exactly sure where we go. Richard Young, I still think that's a little bit of a stretch for us to, to ultimately end up landing him. I know we had potentially a slight lead for him earlier in this cycle, but he's been turning to Bama for a while now. I don't know what the Justice Haynes to Bama move does for his commitment. Is he okay going in there as a one-two punch with Justice Haynes? Or does he want to kind of be the feature guy in the class? Maybe that could work in our favor. I just don't know what to think there. Ruben Owens, who's a guy that is committed to Louisville, who is a top 50 guy, one of the best running backs in the country, maybe the best running back in the country. He shocked everyone when he committed to Louisville, saying that he wanted to kind of blaze his own trail, which is just a new way of saying, hey, I'm taking the NIL money, which don't begrudge a guy at all. Go make yours, man. But maybe we can get in, get in there late if Louisville has a, has a tough season. We put together a good NIL deal of our own. Who knows? But if we can land either Young or Owens, if Flip Owens or, and land Young, we're just one of those guys, that would absolutely take this class to the next level. And then landing a guy like Monroe Freeling at offensive tackle. Now, he's not a five-star prospect. He's not a guy like Marius Mims or Broderick Jones has that high-profile rating. But he's a top 100 prospect himself. And I think he is actually a really talented player and could potentially be a guy that plays up to a five-star level in college. He's just not quite there yet. But if we land any of those guys, I think that could take this class to the next level. And the biggest remaining need, I'm going to go receiver, Charlie. I think we need a game changer receiver. We're fine at running back right now. We can go get somebody in the portal. But we have, at some point, we've got to change the game. We've got to change the narrative at wide receiver. And landing one of these big-time guys like Hakeem Williams or Jalen Hale that would go a long way in helping us kind of turn the tide when it comes to recruiting at the wide receiver position. And that's all for today, I guess. Anything else you want to add to that's any it? of those? You want to repeat something? All right, grade me. Economy of language. How was I today? You better. Better? Not good enough. Well, I mean, you can always improve. Uh, guys, just give you a heads up. Charlie did write me a little note here in the middle of this episode saying, you could have broken this episode into two different episodes. <laughs> It's just a thought. I mean, yeah, I guess. I, I guess that, that I took that as you saying that I was going too long again. No, I'm just saying the way it broke down. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe segment you're right. wise, minutes wise. So this is why we have. This is why you the start of the podcast. This is why we have you on here. You make us better, Charlie. You make this a better podcast. Okay, now you're just being facetious. No, I'm, I'm dead serious, Charlie. I'm, I'm taking your advice. I'm trying to use economy of language. That's that's a new phrase in my life. Economy you're of language. That you're 
re- not going to repeat as much. Oh, my God. Okay, we got to get out of here, Charlie. We got to get out of here. But thank you guys for listening. We always appreciate that. I will be back later on this week with the next edition of our Scout in the Enemy series. We're focusing our attention on the South Carolina Gamecocks. Don't forget about Never Graduate as well, our new national college football podcast i'll be posting those episodes to this feed and also its own separate never graduate feed just to make it as easy as possible for you guys to access so if you haven't had a chance to listen to it give it a shot i think you guys will enjoy it we've got a lot of great preview stuff for you guys coming up over the next couple of weeks we're going to try to work maybe one more mailback question into things here before the season kicks off so don't be a stranger keep the questions coming we're going to try to make that happen for you but we've got a ton of great stuff for you great content over the next couple of weeks So for Charlie, I'm Tyler. Thank you for listening. And as always, go dogs.